0: Well, once again, a big warm welcome to everyone here today. Uh, And the same thing to everyone online. It's good to see everyone here at at Easter Sunday here at Lord of Grace. Uh, It's always, of course, such a big day of celebration, very exciting. We've been spending the last three days uh, going through Jesus' trial, his arrest, his crucifixion. Uh, We spent time going through the cross, walking through that part. Uh, That's very intentional. Now we get to the next part of the story, which is the resurrection. And I think most of us feel like we know this story fairly well. Uh, It's told a little differently in each of the Gospels. Some of the details are different. But they're close on the key parts. Uh, We know Jesus died. We know they put him in that underground tomb. We know they wrapped him in the linens, put a big stone in front of the door, and then the women came to put the spices on his body. Uh, In one version... The tomb is just empty. They come to the tomb, and they look in, and and then they just, it says they're afraid, and they ran away. Uh, in In another, Jesus appears, and they mistake him for the gardener, and one, they run into an angel, but either story you look at, Jesus is back, and of course, he didn't do this by his own power. He did this through the power of God the Father who raised him. It's why we say Jesus was raised from the dead, instead of saying Jesus raised himself from the dead. God the Father did it for him. And that's what we're talking about here at Easter. And I love that we can celebrate what God did for Jesus, Uh, but the meaning of Easter doesn't just stop with what happened 2,000 years ago. It isn't just about remembering a cool event from a while ago. It's about remembering what God still does for us today, And that's what we're going to look at. What does God do for us? And what does resurrection have anything to do with it? So let's step back a little bit, look at some of the words of the prophet Isaiah that we read in our our first lesson today. Why? Because God's word did not start with Jesus. It started back with the laws and the prophets. And when you look at them, you can see that Jesus is the fulfillment of what God had promised. He isn't the start, he is the the fulfillment of it. And so what does Isaiah say that God will do? Isaiah 65. I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. So look at that first line. I'm going to make, a new, make a new heavens and a new earth. This is God's plan. It isn't to extract us from the earth and send us to heaven. It's to make a new earth and a new heaven. That's the ultimate plan where there isn't a distinction. There isn't a here and a there. It's all one. And it's the exact same thing that will be said in Revelation at the very end of the Bible. That it says will happen. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from hev- out of heaven from God. So the story is going to come full circle. God made the plan in ancient times, and will renew it at the end of times. And what does that new heaven and that new earth look like? Well, the prophet gives us some idea about this go back to isaiah it says wonder, wonderful poetic images they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity or they shall be offspring blessed by the lord and their descendants as well before they call i will answer while yet while they are yet speaking i will hear the wolf and the lamb shall feed together the lion shall eat straw like the ox but the serpent its food shall be dust bites for the serpent right I'm making a new heaven and new earth. Sorry, rattlesnake. Okay, it's an image. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Here's where you get that image that you probably saw in stained glass windows. If you grew up in a traditional church, I think my home church had it. Stained glass window. And you have the lion and the lamb. And they draw it out. They're always sitting in some bucolic meadow, surrounded by giant oak trees. You know, paradise always looks a lot like Kentucky in summer, uh, when, they, when they would draw it. Um, and, and, uh, uh, but, you know, and you'd have them, and they'd be sitting together. And uh, so this is the image, right? The predator and the prey sitting together, you know. And um, the lion isn't trying to eat the lamb, you know, because it eats grass, like your dog before the rain like your cat when you bring roses home and put them on the island in your kitchen. these if you're my cat, you eat the roses. I'm like, no, you're a predator. You're not supposed to be eating. And of course, it doesn't work well. The, the new heaven is not here. The grass does not work well for my cat. But this is the order of things, the order of things that we know, the weak and the strong, the predator, the prey, the attacker, the victim, the powerful and the powerless. It's all gone in this vision. It's all gone. Nobody gets their livelihood at somebody else's expense. Nothing lives off of others' suffering. No one has to be afraid for their life because nothing is trying to get you. What a vision, right? Again, except for those poor snakes. But of course, this vision isn't literal, right? And, but, and this vision is not just, not just sort of a figure of speech to say, look how great it will be. I think the images have. There's a meaning in the images and a reason that they're used, right? It's a way of saying that God is going to break up the order of things. That that this dog-eat-dog dog world that we've grown accustomed to is not a part of God's plan and God's thinking, and it's not God's way. And you'd know that if you ever get stuck in one of those situations, you know, you're feeling trapped and you feel like everything's against you, and, and you're stuck on the street, right? You're stuck living on the street because your landlord just shot up your rent by like 50%. And then, and, you, and you go to tell him and say, hey, my income didn't go up 50%. And he says, eh, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. And, and when you're out there and you're getting bullied for how you look or how you talk, and the print, and you get go into the principal, and the principal says, well... Yeah, boys will be boys, just the way it is. Maybe you should learn to fight better. You know? And when you see your loved ones die from a preventable disease and somebody tells you, that we couldn't possibly do anything to stop this, and they say, well, it's just the way it is. Stuff happens. And you realize that what's going on in the world is not just a case of a few bad apples here and there who happen to be mean. It's a whole mindset It's a whole mindset that says that things just are a certain way and it's all fixed and that's all there is and there's nothing you can do to change it. The world's just locked in. And the material world is all you see, deal with it. Be brave and accept the cold, hard reality of things, right? That's what they say, be brave. You know, there's death, there's taxes, there's another season of Kardashians coming. We are not in the new heaven yet. (laughs) And if you believe in God, and you don't believe in resurrection, I suppose that makes perfectly good sense. You know? We are living in a material world. Christopher Hitchens was a stubborn atheist to his dying day. But we don't believe that. Not as people of God. We don't believe that the material world is all that there is. We don't believe that everything is locked in place and we just have to accept it. We don't believe that we must accept the lion killing the lamb and the strong crushing the weak. We don't believe that we must accept that because God is not trapped by that kind of thinking. I call that thinking in the box thinking. Uh, it, this was kind of a big phrase. I don't know if you remember back to the 90s. I remember seeing some of these commercials. It was like all these companies had been going along for Years and years, and they'd had this sort of corporate structure where, you know, obedience to authority and following the rules plus long hours was the key to getting promoted in any business. Just work harder at what you're told, and then from the most obedient, we'll move them up the ladder. Well, what of course happens is things stay the same forever and ever, because the people who do things the same get moved up, right? And then along the 90s comes, and you get this thing called the Internet, and now suddenly everybody's like, oh, dang, what are we going to do now? How, how, do, how, do we, how do we deal with this? We're going to have to figure out new ways. And so now they're going back to those same employees that they just drilled into them. You know, do what you're told, do what you're told, do what you're told. And now they're like, we need you to come up with new ideas. There was a commercial. It was absolutely hilarious. And it, had, it showed this, like one of these corporate training rooms, right? And they're all sitting in this big boardroom. And there's this guy they would brought in, and he was kind of all ripped and had his... Funky hair, whatever. He was probably really hip for 1999, and he came in and he has this box, and he's showing this box, and he say, "He goes, you got to get outside of the box. You got to challenge the paradigm." And it's like he thought he was so clever by saying "paradigm." Ooh, you know. And meanwhile, all the employees are texting like, "Your face is a box. This idea is a box. I want to go sleep in a box." You know, and they're all texting dumb things because they're probably snickering because I'll bet they all understand perfectly well that, you know, too much outside the box thinking might might not really be what they want. I mean, if your great idea involves the company saving lots of money by not hiring corporate trainers and three more levels of management, maybe that's a little farther outside the box than we want, right? You know? Or maybe, you know, maybe we just don't need all those extra reports. Maybe, maybe we don't need a policy for absolutely everything. Maybe you could trust your employees. We could be more creative that way. You know, uh, maybe I can stay home and keep working in my pajamas in front of my computer and skip that big commute and skip having to go into the office and sit there in the break room listen to Judy talking about how much she can't stand bill and accounting, but she really likes him. But the phrase describes perfectly the state of our world. Materialism, fatalism, the world of matter is, that you see is all there is, and there's nothing more, and you will always have the powerful and the weak, the suffering and, and the hunger and the calamity. You will always have invasions of Ukraine and whatever else. That, that's the thinking that's in the box. And for those who make their living in the box, they want you to stay in it. And when you step outside of that, and you start casting a vision, a vision outside the box, and start inspiring people that maybe the world can be just and compassionate and nonviolent, well, they'll try to shut you down. They'll kill you off. That's what Pontius Pilate did. That's what happened to Jesus. You can't have people thinking there's this kingdom of God out there. You're Rome. Rome is the only kingdom, and Caesar is your only God. Anything else, we can't mess with that. If Jesus is going to teach something else, just shut them off. Make a spectacle of it so people can see, and they learn their lesson that there aren't other visions for how the world is run. It's Pax Romana or else, right? That's the cross. And God himself came to earth and started living that vision that the prophet laid out, healing the sick, caring for the poor, feeding the hungry, bringing people back to life and back into community, and he did it all without violence or any help from Rome. Jesus was doing exactly what the prophet said God would do, and they killed him for it, just like they killed the prophets before. They had to keep him in that box. But this is where it gets really cool because Jesus wouldn't stay in the box. It didn't matter if the box was made of rock and dug into the mountain, covered with another rock, covered with a gang of Roman soldiers. Jesus would not stay in the box. God brought him out. Because God is not limited by the ways of our world. God is not contained by death and power and materialism God does not have to accept the injustices as just the way it is. God defies all of that. And this is what God does for the world at Easter. He gets back to the business of rearranging the world. So when you look at that tomb, remember that this is not just about an interesting thing that happened 2,000 years ago. It's God showing us that in Him, in His power, is His world. And God can make the world something that's not fatalistic and materialist. But God can bring the dead back to life. That's what opens us us up to dreams and visions. What gives us the hope that we can live a new life. That we can have a just society and a compassionate community. It's what fills our hearts with inspirations, not just for ourselves, but what we can do for this world and as people of faith. It isn't that we believe in magic tricks or supernatural things. We don't literally believe lions will start eating grass. It's that we believe that God is capable of bringing hope where there's hopelessness, life where there's death, food where there's hunger, justice where there's injustice. We as people of faith look at the empty tomb and we realize that we are freed from the box, for a new heaven and a new earth, in Jesus Christ. Amen.